You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. I'm excited to share what the word for us is today. We're going through the series entitled Promise Fulfilled. But before I go any further, I'm, again, I'm Jay. I'm one of the many leaders. Only by the grace of God will I share the word of God today. This is my wife. I'm not a student anymore. I look like it, but I'm married. I got married last year. And um, by the grace of God, lo and behold, after some time, we got this three-month-old baby. There you go. That's our baby Tala. She's a star of the family. And truly, there's just so many blessings and there's so many things that I would, I would want to celebrate this Christmas season. And you know it's Christmas already because one, traffic is on. You know? <laughs> I was talking to one of our ushers this morning. Last night, he went from a party, 12 o'clock, traffic pa rin. Right? I mean, traffic is everywhere. That's one. Everybody's flocking to the malls. Um, maybe some of you have started your shopping some of you have been preparing for your Christmas Eve. This is one of the most busy seasons of the year. It's one of the most um, celebrated seasons of the year, not only in the Philippines, but everywhere in the world. But also, it's one of the most confusing times of the year. Because many times, people celebrate Christmas without understanding why we're celebrating Christmas. And as one leader would say, when we lose our why, we lose our way. So I think today, and in the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at the songs that were sung in a time that when the first Christmas, and we're going to revert back to what Christmas is really all about. Because the, the, the worst kind of celebration is a celebration that we don't know why. So as, as we celebrate today, we're going to listen to the song of this man named Zechariah after being silenced for nine long months. We're going to read the words that he sung right after being silenced for nine months. Open your Bibles. We'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 up to 79. This will be the song of Zechariah. Let's ponder upon the goodness of the Lord as we read this. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for his visited and redeemed this people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give the light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, only by your grace do we approach your presence. We ask you, Holy Spirit, teach us how to see this Christmas season in light of what Jesus Christ, King of all kings, Lord of all lords, 
intended it to be for us. Thank you, God, that it will be a celebration of your goodness. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. We're going through four songs in the book of Luke. It's interesting because it's like a storyteller, Luke, the chronological um, doctor that he is, told this story and each time a great promise is fulfilled, a song comes out. It's like an outburst of emotion. It's like us, I think. You know, whenever we feel a strong emotion, we sing. And I think that's, that's, that's the beauty of what Luke is doing in his, in his gospel. That in each good, great fulfillment of a promise, someone would sing. Last week, we'll listen to Mary singing, and now we're listening to Zechariah singing. But in each song, there's a story behind it. So let's start um, unpacking the story behind the song of Zechariah. Um, you might know that Zechariah is a priest, and he is married to um, his wife, Elizabeth. And, and in fact, the book of Luke starts with um, her story, with their story, their family's story. For a long time, they have been waiting to have a child. In fact, they've been praying for it. But they have not, you know, had this child and, and, and they're, they're advanced in age at this point. In fact, in verse 7 of your first chapter of Luke, it would be said there that um, at this point, Elizabeth is barren and they're both advanced in age. So Luke sets up the story as if it's impossible for them to have a child. But lo and behold, one fateful day, Zechariah was chosen to come into the temple to light the incense. One of those privileges of the priest during that time, to come inside the temple and to light the incense. And to his surprise, an angel appeared in front of him. And you know, whenever an angel appears in front of people in, in the Bible, the response is always fear. You know, it's not, wow, you're so cute, angel, you know? Many times in the, in the modern depiction of angels, we always see them as small babies. But in the Bible, whenever angels are, are depicted, they're grand, majestic beings that are sent from the most holy presence of God. That's why whenever people see them, they, they feel the fear because of the holiness that they see in these angels. And imagine the waiting that Zechariah and Elizabeth has had for you know for for so long they have been waiting for them to have a child and at this point of the story there's also another waiting that's happening remember our series on malachi remember this we talked about malachi and at the end of the book of malachi a promise was given that elijah would come again and for 400 years they have been waiting for this elijah you can just imagine the priests entering the presence of the lord thinking it's been 400 years, oh God. Where's the Elijah now? And th these two long waiting somehow converge into this song. Let's listen to the angel in chapter 1 of Luke when he talks to Zechariah and he says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. The angel is telling Zechariah now that, you know what, what you have been desiring, God is going to grant you. In fact, you're not going to be happy, just you and your wife. Everybody will be happy about this because this is something important. The next verses tells us why it's important. Verse 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to disobedient to the wisdom of the judge, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This should sound familiar to us because these are the same words that Malachi used. 400 years ago, the very same words promising someone to come to turn those fathers and children to one another is now unfolding in, in front of the eyes of this old priest. And you think about this for a moment, you know? You know, 400 years of waiting for, the, for Elijah to come and now he's going to come? Long waiting for your son to be born and now you're promised that your son will come? I was expecting a response from Zechariah, you know? As a response maybe that would go, yes, I'll be a father. Yes, after 400 years, Elijah's coming. But his response is interesting. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advancing years. He's a learned man. He calls himself old, and his wife advancing years. He knows how to do it, you know. I am old, my wife, advance in years. Euphemism, you know. But you see, you would expect a priest to respond in faith. 400 years worth of a promise. And a promise to them that they have been waiting all their lives. Now it's going to come and his response is, how? And many times that happens to us, I think. Really. You know. When, when things happen and God tells you something and your question is, how? And you look at your circumstances. This is what he did. He looked and said, me? I'm old. My wife, advancing years. You know? How will this happen? You know, many times you think about the promises of God and how will it be fulfilled and we say, mm, I'm not sure. And we respond in doubt. This is not yet the song, but there's much to learn here. In fact, I'd like to, you know, just zoom into here and just think about who God is. That in terms of His promises, God is working out His promises, whether we see it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not at the moment. Because that's what Zechariah is doing. That's how Israelites felt after 400 years of waiting for God to come. They feel like, really, God? The Romans have already come in our nation, ransacked our people, killed our children, and now they're the Lord of our nation. Are you still there? And many times this is the question uh, in our lives. God, are you going to do what you said you will do? Again, this is not yet the song, but I hope we take it from, from this part of Scripture. Sometimes you don't have to know how. We just have to know who and why. Who gave the promise, God, and why? For His glory, for our joy. But of course, since the story goes on, we know that Zechariah was silenced. You know? I was thinking about this uh, instance when, when, when this happened. It's like God saying, Shh, shut up. Let me show you how to do it. <laughs> And sometimes we need to do that. <laughs> to just zip, be quiet, 
and listen to what God and how God will do it. And that's what happened to Zechariah. Nine months, he was silenced. I can imagine the way he felt when he was silenced. I can imagine him seeing the, the tummy of his wife, the first few kicks. I remember February this year when we learned that we will have a baby. I want to announce it to the world, right? I wanna, I, the first thing we did was to pray. We saw the pregnancy test. We pray. And then the next morning, we went to, I went to my parents' house and then told them the good news. Everybody was shouting. And also, we went to the, her family. Everybody was happy. I can imagine Zechariah wanting to do that as well. Wala pa namang Twitter nun. He can't announce it yet publicly. But he was silenced and he cannot say anything. He was seeing the milestones of his baby growing inside his wife's body and he cannot say anything about it. He silenced nine months. In the same manner, Israel has been waiting still. 400 years. Imagine the waiting. 4,800 months. <laughs> For the promise of God to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but me, I'm really uncomfortable with waiting. You, are you comfortable with waiting? You know, some of you, you, you like waiting. I, I love waiting. I love long lines. I love traffic. You know, I enjoy waiting. But me, I'm really uncomfortable waiting. Like, uh, how is this going to go? And, uh, especially if you don't know what's happening next. For them, it is what's like that. But again, while they didn't know it, while they, maybe they were not seeing it, God was doing something. That's why on your chapter 1, verses 59 to 66, in fact, if you have your Bible, I'm just traveling through the chapter 1 of Luke. You can just follow me uh, going through these thoughts. In 59 of your, verse 59, chapter 1, on the eighth day, meaning um, Elizabeth gave birth already, okay, and, and as custom to their time, after eight days, the baby will be circumcised and he will be named. That's the time that they name the child during circumcision, especially firstborn males. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father because during that time, that was the custom. If you're um, firstborn child, you name him after yourself. Very Filipino, right? junior. <laughs> so, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Why? Because the angel said so. Because God said so. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. 62. And they made signs to his father because the father cannot understand. I don't know how they made signs. But they made signs. And the father said, and he asked for a writing tablet. I'm not sure if it's Android or Apple, but it's there. It's a writing tablet. And wrote his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. At this point of the story, I'd like you to think about what would you say after not being able to speak for nine months, right? Some of us, we hate losing our voice. Have you ever lost your voice? Like, you, you can't speak? Have you ever felt that way? You know, if you're talkative, that's still the worst kind of thing that can happen to you, right? <coughs> like you force it even if you can't. <laughs> But if you're the silent type, I mean, you don't mind losing your voice. You don't use it as much. But then I can imagine Zechariah, nine long months of not being able to speak. The first few words that he will say, I think, are very important to him and his family. The very 
words that he will come out with after nine long months, I think are important. And this is the song that we'll study today. That song of Zechariah. And he was filled with the Spirit, verse 67. The first few words. After nine long months, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Wait a minute. <laughs> After nine long months, you'd expect him to say, Yes! Praise God, I'm now a father. Maybe, right? I mean, that would have been a more logical way of putting it. But he's singing about someone else. He's singing about a king from the line of David. He's singing about Jesus, who's at this point still in, the, in, in Mary's body. It's interesting for me to just pause for a moment and look at this celebration of Zechariah. In the midst of the many things that he could have celebrated, having voice, having a child, he celebrates the real reason to celebrate, the coming of the king. You see, what's ironic about the many Christmas songs that we have today is that one, they're very westernized and we love singing them. It's about snow, it's about Santa Claus, and we Filipinos love singing. We don't have snow, we, we, but, but we love singing it anyway. Um, second, it's, it's a lot about gifts. And third, it's almost always about ourselves. Sometimes it's even about broken-hearted songs. Paskuna, Sintakol. But this song of Christmas celebrates the King. What I found interesting upon reflecting on our celebration of Christmas is this. Many times we celebrate the effect of Christmas, not the reason for Christmas. Many people say the, the, the celebration of Christmas is about generosity, about family, about loving one another. Those are effects of Christmas. That's not the reason that Christ came. That we are able to be generous, loving, and we are able to give and become with family because... First and foremost, the king came. Many times we miss that. Our Christmas celebration has been so consumerized, so to speak. It has been economically tweaked so that we could spend more. <laughs> when in fact, the first celebration of Christmas was all about blessing the Lord God of Israel. This is where you get the title Benedictus. Can you say that word? Benedictus, it means blessed. It means praise be to you, O God. And that at the very core of the Christmas celebration is the blessing, the praising of God. Why do we praise Him? Reasons. One, as it states there, because He has visited and redeemed His people. I love the words that Zechariah would use. These are written in Greek, but the thoughts are in Hebrew. But you would use the word visited here, not as someone passing by your house and saying, hi, that's not visited in Hebrew. Visited in Hebrew is stepping into your house, staying there, spending time with you, and making a relationship grow. That's visit. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. To step into the mantle of man's history, not just to say hi to humanity, but to step into our very homes 
to build a relationship. He visited so He could redeem His people. If Jesus only wanted us to be happy, to be healed, to be blessed in Christmas, He did not have to become human because He could do that from heaven. He could bless you from heaven. He could heal you from heaven. He's been doing that in the Old Testament. But because He needed to redeem, He wanted to redeem. He stepped out of His throne, a king of all kings, so that He can redeem His people. This is the reason for Christmas. Many times we miss it. He continues. English songs are different from this kind of songs because they don't rhyme. They don't intentionally rhyme. But what they do is to repeat the thoughts over and over just so it can pound the same thing. That's why verse 69 is kind of a repetition of 68. When you look at it, it has raised up a horn of salvation. That is a, an allusion to, to the horn of the oxen in the Old Testament. The symbol of strength. So the strength of salvation is born from the line of David as promised in Jeremiah 33, 17. That a branch from the line of David would come out to restore the kingdom. Christmas celebration is about a king coming to redeem. That is Christmas. You know what's funny? It is when we, if we celebrate Sir Yang's birthday, if we, all of us, we, we talk about, let's celebrate Sir, Sir Yang's birthday. Let's invite everybody. Let's prepare good food. Let's prepare gifts. And then let's dress up in, in costumes maybe. And then um, let's prepare everything. Let's go into a good place. But let's not invite Yang. Let's celebrate the birthday of Yang, but let's not invite Yang. In fact, let's not talk about Yang in his party. Let's, the important thing is this, that we become generous to one another in his birthday that we love one another in His birthday, but let's not talk about Him. In fact, let's not invite Him. But that happens in many Christmas dinners. It's a party for the King, but the King is not invited. It's not even mentioned. He's an afterthought. That at the end of the celebration, ay nga pala. <laughs> What a sad reality for the Christmas that we have today. When in fact, Zechariah points out this, you, oh God, is, you're the reason for this celebration. It's from the line of David that he did this. He continues and repeats the same theme. He has said this from the old, and, and the purpose of this, the purpose of the king coming is that we should be saved from our enemies. This is a picture of, of the kingdom of Israel to be saved from the oppressors. Meaning, God is concerned with how things are in our present lives. He's not just concerned with eternity. He's concerned with our present dealings, with the enemies of our present lives. He was talking about the oppressing Roman rule. He's talking about your God would come to restore you back to a good position. Are we living out the truth of Christmas this season? Or are we, with all the glimmer and all the lights and all the Christmas trees and all the celebrations, are they... Blocking the manger 
Or are they highlighting the king? Because if we look at scripture, it is the promise fulfilled that we're celebrating. As I was saying, as I keep on saying, Christmas is a celebration of the arrival of the king who came to redeem. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, could have been way easier. Think about it. He's the king of all kings. He could have been born in a five-star hotel. He could have been born in the palace of the Roman emperor. He could choose to be. But no, he came as a humble servant. Because this embodies what he would do. He would redeem his people. As we continue reading, we see, we see the purpose not only of His coming, His coming to redeem, but there's an extension to this. That the oath that we swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, what would happen to us? We would be able to serve Him. That the purpose of salvation is that we might serve Him. That it's not salvation in itself. It's not the end point of Christ's coming. That we're saved to serve. Many times we forget this spectrum of Christmas because we love celebrating the saving part, really. But when Christ came, He did not only come to save His people, but to rule over them. To tell them this is the way to live. A life that is serving the king without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Are we celebrating this truth? The fact that we're able to serve God. The way we live our lives. The way we bring to the table our finances, our family, our relationship, everything in between. This servitude this, this word serve is something that talks about the whole life of a person. It's not just one spectrum of his life. Many times we read serve in the Bible and we think ministries in the church. Singing, ushering, and those are wonderful things. We love the volunteers that we have in church. But this serve here goes far beyond that. This serve here means that because he came to redeem, I will be more than willing to have him rule over all my life. My thoughts, my heart, my being. This Christmas season, is this what we are celebrating? A kind of yielding that says, God, take over all. All of the things that I have in my life, I want it to be over your ruler. That you are ruler of all that. Because I want to serve you. Because you came to do that. Christmas is a celebration of the arrival of the king, not, who came not only to redeem, but also to rule. If the end point of our lives is only to be saved by grace through faith, if that's period, if that's the only end goal of our lives, then if we had surrendered our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we should have gone to heaven right away. If that's the point of this life. But it is not as the scripture would say, that we are redeemed so that we can serve. In fact, you may be here and just drop by church and, um, you know, uh, maybe it's your first time, maybe 
you go here and you go out, you don't really mind a lot of things. I pray this for you and for all of us that we don't miss out on why we're doing this, church. It is because someone came to redeem so that we can respond in service. Because it's so easy to lose the reason of doing things and the many things that we're doing with the comforts of, of coming and going, with anonymity maybe. But I pray this with all our, my heart really, that we understand this and respond in worship. After several lines of talking about the coming Messiah, he now talks about his son. <laughs> Imagine this. I mean, after talking about Jesus for so many lines, he now talks to his son. And he says, and you child, he's talking to John, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, will be called the prophet of the Most High. It's interesting still. Because he looked at his son and he sees his son in light of the greater promise that he's fulfilling. He sees the blessing he has received in line of the promise of God, the purpose of God. It's interesting because how do we look at the blessings that we receive this season? Are we seeing them in line of the greater purpose of God? Or are we just saying, wow, finally I've been waiting for this. Thank God I have this. Good job, God. You fulfilled my prayer. You're a good God after all. No, he saw his son. He said, you will serve the purpose of our God. The blessings that we receive, they serve a greater purpose always. It's not only for us. He saw it. And he would say, you will do great things. You will prepare the Lord the way for the Lord. He will give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. The salvation that He talked about first was salvation in the present. But this one is eternity. God responded to the present problems. That's why I always say, God is concerned about your present condition as well. Not only for your eternity, but at the same time, He is well concerned with the eternity of our souls. He came to proclaim the forgiveness of our sins. The biggest problem of this world right now is not the lack of resources. It's not the lack of compassion. It's not the lack of love. It is the presence of sin. And only through a God that is mighty and loving is it resolved. Christmas is a celebration of that king who came to redeem and to rule. As we continue reading, as he closes his song, he says, it is only because of the tender mercy of our God, not because Israel is worthy, not because that at this point they are ready to receive the king. No, in fact, this is the, this is the time where God chose to be in because of the many things that he has prepared. One would be the most gruesome type of execution, which is crucifixion. But he says something that struck me. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. And it will give life to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
This language should be familiar. At the end of the book of Malachi, it was promised. The sun of righteousness shall rise. In its wings will come healing. Same language Zechariah is using. Sunrise will visit you and you will give you light. And it will restore everything back to shalom, to peace, to completeness. No more tears, no more fears, no more weakness. All back into the intended purpose of everything. This is why we're celebrating Christmas. A king came to redeem and to rule. Years after, this John grew old. And as he was doing what he was called to do, as prophesied by his father, one day he saw Jesus Christ. This is important. Because we can listen to this song and go out of this door and end up doing nothing. The question is, how do we respond when we see the king coming to redeem and to rule? John the Baptist's response is this. When he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His response was to worship, to see Jesus as the Lamb that would take away the sin of everything. We restore back everything to peace. How I wish that the words of God, not my words, not my eloquence, not anything that I have done in this short time of preaching, but His words would pierce through our hearts that as we celebrate Christmas this season, we'd see it in the light of this King. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You because You have graced this time of gathering of Your people. Thank You that Your Holy Spirit is here, that You are piercing through the hearts of each and every one in this place. Lord, remind us of the very essence of Christmas, that we would not miss it, Lord God, because of the many concerns that we have today. Lord, I pray that we would celebrate the true joy that comes only from you, that it'll be all about you. I pray for those who are waiting for something, a promise that you've given them, and they're sure it's from Scripture, and they're sure that it is from you, and they've been holding on to it for so long and it has not come to pass. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would give them faith to believe, faith to be patient, faith to move in faith. Lord, I pray that when it comes to pass, they would realize that it all points back to you. That it is all for your glory that you fulfill your promise. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.